Let's bow our heads together. All glory and honor and strength, wisdom and power belongs to you, O oh God. We declare that you and you alone possess glory and honor. Lord, that apart from you, we are fools. You alone are wise, God. A apart from you, we are weak. You alone are our strength, Lord. And these belong to you forever. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in your presence to declare your praise, God. And Father, as we've now lifted our voices up to you, I pray that as your word is open, that we would hear your voice speaking to us so powerfully and so profoundly. Lord, be with my mouth. Protect me from error. Help me to speak only that which is sound doctrine for the, for the upbuilding of the saints, Lord, for your glory, because to you and to you alone belongs all glory, all power all wisdom, strength, and honor, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle to help you out uh, with that. I won't believe it until I see it. Seeing is believing. These are common phrases we use just about every day. Dad, Dad, I cleaned my room. I won't believe it until I see it. The Maple Leafs are going to get to at least the second round of the playoffs this year. I, seeing is believing. We, 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 we've become so accustomed to just assuming that you can't believe something unless you've seen it. We, we live in the scientific age. The word science simply means observation. It means seeing. And we have this sort of understanding and we apply it not, not just to the NHL playoffs or to the cleanliness of a child's room. We, we apply it to, to everything. People even apply it to religious faith that, that unless you can see it, you shouldn't believe it. But is, is that really the right way to approach life? Is that the, the right way to, to, to approach the study of history? I've never seen Napoleon Bonaparte. But I, I do believe that he ruled over France and for a short period of time, most of, most of Europe. But, but I hadn't seen him and yet I, yet I believe. I, I can't see air and yet I believe that I'm I'm breathing it right now. I've never seen my brain. Some days I wonder, but I believe I have one. Seeing is not always believing, and, and believing is, is not conditional upon seeing. And this is a major theme in the Gospel of John. And, and the most familiar sort of teaching on this came when Thomas sort of missed out on Jesus' resurrection appearance. And what did Thomas say? He said, unless I see, I will never believe. And then Jesus said to him, when he finally appeared to Thomas, take a look at this on the screen in John chapter 20, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now, Jesus did many other signs, things to be seen in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you, you, us, the readers, this is John the author speaking to us, the readers, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John was written so that people would believe And right at the very end, John clarifies in retelling the story of Thomas that believing is not conditional upon seeing. That there is, in fact, a blessing on those who believe without seeing. And so we need to be clear on this. Believing is, is, is what saves us. And so we need to understand what are we talking about when we're talking about believing in Jesus So turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 43. It says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. One of my responsibilities as someone who teaches God's word in the church is not simply to 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 preach each week, but to teach those who are listening how to study the Bible for themselves. And one of the things that that we need to do when we're studying God's Word is to pay attention to repeated key words. And did you notice how in verse 48, there's the word believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Then in verse 50, it says, the man believed Jesus Word. And then at, down at verse 53, it says that the official believed with, together with his household. These three statements about belief in this short story are going to help us flesh out an understanding of what does it actually mean to believe in Jesus. The, the, the first statement about belief communicates this to us, that believing in Jesus means I'm not asking for signs. It means I'm not asking for signs. If we go back to verse 43 where we started, it said, After two days he departed for Galilee. After after the two days, the two days where he stayed in Samaria. 
He was leaving Judea in the south, and he was going to Galilee in the north, and he stopped in Samaria. He met a Samaritan woman at a well, and then she went and told everyone in town to come and to see the one who had told her all of these things about her life. So look back at chapter 4, verse 40. It says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So this is after those two days. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. So after the two days, after the 48 hours in Samaria, verse 43 says they start, now they're actually heading to Galilee. But on their way, Jesus gives this little caveat in verse 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. A Galilee, Nazareth in Galilee, Galilee is kind of like a province, Nazareth and Cana, Capernaum, these are different cities within that region. That's his hometown. Jesus warns his disciples. He kind of curbs their enthusiasm a little bit. He clarifies the expectations. He says, I just want to let you know, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown. Because what are the disciples thinking? I mean, they leave Judea and Jesus performs some signs there. Then they, go, then they go to Samaria, and all these foreigners who are far from God, they don't even believe half the prophecies about the, about the Messiah in the Old Testament because they only read the first five books. All of these foreigners are believing. Man, if that's what's happening in Samaria, guess what's going to happen when we get to Galilee? The crowds, all of these people are going, to be, are going to be worshiping Jesus, believing in Jesus, following Jesus. Jesus said, Let, let's, let's just hold on a second. He says, the prophet's not without honor, except in his hometown. Jesus makes reference to, you know, what happened to Jeremiah, what happened to Elijah and Elisha. These, these prophets that were not listened to, were not honored in their hometown. Verse 45, though, seems to contradict that. It says, so when, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Well, let's be clear. Why are they welcoming him? Are they honoring him in welcoming him? How do you honor a prophet? Well, they, it says they welcomed him. Notice why. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And, and all, Jew, all faithful Jewish people, wherever they lived, made a trip three times a year for the different Jewish festivals. And Jesus performed a number of signs when he was there. They're referred to in John chapter 2, verse 23. We can see that on the, uh, on the screen here. Now, when, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was Doing, And then when Nicodemus came to him at night, he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so they welcomed him because they had seen his signs. Verse 46 says, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water Wine. He came back to Cana where he performed his first miracle. There's a bit of a cycle happening here. He started up in Cana in early John chapter 2 and then went down to Jerusalem. And now he went up through Samaria, back to Galilee, back to the place where the first miracle was, 
recorded. Up in Canaan. Now there are some parallels between these two stories. Let me show you what I mean. In, in John 2, at the, the, the miracle at the wedding, there's a mother who comes to Jesus. It's Jesus' mother. It's a request from a mother. And in John 4 here, it's a, it's a request from, from a father. In both of these stories, there's sort of this no and then yes. Jesus tells his mother, you know, my hour has not come. But then he ends up performing the miracle. Jesus tells the official, you know, unless you see a sign, you're never going to believe. But then he ends up performing a, a, a miracle for him. In both of these stories, the servants have the inside track, don't they? The, it was the servants who brought the water that was transformed into wine to the master of the banquet. And it's the servants of the official who they see the miraculous recovery first. And they're the ones who tell their master, the official. The results are the same. At the end of the, of the John 2 miracle, the disciples believe. And at the end of, the, of this miracle, the whole official's household believes. The only real difference, although they're both in Cana, have all these things in common, is the, is the surrounding context. You see, in John chapter 2, it's the context of celebration. It's, it's a wedding. But the context here is not celebration, it's desperation. It, it's a child. It's a father trying to save the life of his child. And so these, these two miracles, both happening in Cana, they teach us something about Jesus Christ. That Jesus is both Lord at the banquet hall and at the palliative care unit. That he can take something like a wedding and he can take something that's already good and make it even better. But that he can take something like illness and disease and death and he can use that for his glory and for our good. And so the miracle is recorded. This conversation takes place in Cana. But the person comes from Capernaum. Capernaum was about 40 kilometers away. It's about here at 77 55 10th line to Union Station. It would take you about seven or eight hours to, uh, to walk there. And so this official made quite a journey in order just to get there. The Greek word for official is basilikos. Uh, basilius means a king. Oikos means house. This, this person came from the house of the king. He was a, a servant of the king, a royal official. Some translations uh, refer to him. Now, it doesn't say which king. We, don't, we know hardly anything about this official. He's often confused with the centurion that's recorded in the synoptic gospels, but this is a very different story from that. We're not told anything about this official. We don't even know who he worked for. I mean, there was King Herod Antipas. He had a, a palace and sort of a, a, a capital city in Tiberias nearby, but also the Caesars in Rome were referred to as king. And whether he worked for Caesar or whether he worked for Herod, one thing would have been true about him. If he worked for either of those kings, he was part of the relentless machine of oppression that was keeping the Jewish people from flourishing in their homeland. This would not have been a popular person in Galilee. 
Some of Jesus' disciples were zealots. Their, their, their whole purpose was to overthrow the Roman oppressors who had delegated responsibility to Herod. And so this man would not have been welcomed by the disciples. He would not have been welcomed by those other people in Cana. But this man comes to Jesus and Jesus welcomes him. He came from Capernaum because it says that his son was ill. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The you there is uh, in the plural, I have a footnote in, in my Bible. If you follow the footnote in, in your Bible, or maybe your translation says, you people. He's speaking to the man. It says, he said to him. But he says, you. You see, in the English language, we don't, we don't have really a, a plural for you. Our southern brothers and sisters, you know, they say y'all. But we don't, we don't have that in English, but it's there in the Greek. He's speaking in the plural. Remember, they welcomed him not because of who he was. They welcomed him because of his signs. And Jesus calls the crowd out on that. They're not truly honoring him because all they want is to see signs. Unless you see signs, you will not believe you see, Jesus knew that this man, at the end of the day, listen, this man was feeling at the moment that all he needed was for his son to be healed. But listen, Jesus knew that this man needed something more. He didn't just need healing. He needed forgiveness. He needed grace. He needed mercy. He needed salvation. And he can only access those things if he believes. And he tells the crowd, listen, unless you see signs, you won't believe. And if you are laying, setting out for God that, that seeing is somehow a condition for believing, then your believing is not actually believing. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith, which is in English the noun form for the verb believe, in Greek, it's the same root word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you're going to be a person of faith, if you're going to be a person who believes, then you can't be asking for signs so that you would believe. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure many of us are thinking, you know, it would just be easier if God could just, if God could just show me a sign. I'm sure many of us at different times, I know I have, asked God for a sign so that I could believe. But Jesus says it doesn't work that way. Seeing is not a condition for believing. If you are so convinced that seeing a sign will make you believe, let me remind you of a group of people called the Israelites. Living under slavery in Egypt and then seeing ten different signs. God 
pounding the Egyptian people into submission. Ten miracles. Then the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire leading them out. Then the parting of the Red Sea. Then water from the rock. Then the victory over the Amalekites. Then scraping manna up off the ground every single morning. Then all the children of Korah being swallowed by the earth. And yet they didn't believe. And God was persistent in sending prophets, especially the, the, the Samaritans to the north, the northern, the northern kingdom, Elijah and Elisha performing miracles, axe heads floating from the bottom of a, of a lake, people being raised from the dead, fire coming down from the sky, and yet the people did not believe. And so don't be jealous of some of these people who lived in Old Testament times or New Testament times who got to visually see these miracles because it didn't help them. Believing in Jesus means I'm not asking for signs. And it's almost as though the official didn't hear him. In verse 40, 49... The official, he's just, he's just unfazed. The, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. We were studying this passage together at our elders meeting uh, this week and, and just reflecting on, on, on this text. And one of our elders, Dennis Baggett, said, You know, when you're suffering and when you're going through a trial, you, you can't hear you sort of have this, this tunnel vision. There's only one thing on your mind. And, and listen, here's the truth. When we are in pain, when we are struggling, when we are filled with anxiety, it's really hard for us to hear. And here's the thing. Sometimes we can't hear Jesus. But then Dennis said this. He said, but Jesus always hears us. This man at this point in time was not ready to to, to hear what Jesus had to say about what true belief is. All that was on his mind was, was his son. And Jesus heard him, verse 50, Go, your son will live. He doesn't, he doesn't actually give him what he asked for. In, in verse 47, he said, come down. Verse 49, come down, a Capernaum was actually to the north, but it was lower in elevation. That's why he's saying, come down, come downhill into, into the valley near the Sea of Galilee. Come down to Capernaum. But Jesus didn't come down. He said, you go, your son will live. Jesus didn't give this man a sign. He gave this man a promise. He gave this man his word. And that leads us to our second point. If I am believing in Jesus, then I am trusting in his word. I am trusting in his word. Look at his response in verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. How do you honor a prophet? You honor a prophet by believing his word. Look back at this, the passage in Samaria. Look at verse 41. John chapter 4 verse 41. Many more believed 
because of his word. They didn't believe because of signs. They believed because of his word. And if we are to be people of faith, if we are to be people who are believing in Jesus, then that means that we are people who are trusting in his word. And also notice how this believing led to action. The man, I'm in verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Belief comes with its boots on. Belief, true belief, is ready to march. This guy's an official. He understands chain of command. He knows how things work. The commander says, go, you go. He says, march, you march. Jesus said, go. Your son will live. And the man went on his way. He didn't ask, can you just show me a little sign before before I go? Because it's a long journey. I just need some more assurance. No, Jesus gave him his word. That was good enough for that man. And that man trusted in his word and went on his way. Believing in Jesus means trusting in his word. And trusting in his word means taking action. Martin Luther King Jr. says, Faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the rest of the staircase. What... what, What word has God given you? What promise has God given you? And you are are just standing there. Jesus told this man, go. And the reason why we know that he truly believed was that he went when Jesus said, go. Then the... Verse 50 and verse 51, they just follow so closely after one another, we, we kind of lose sight of what's really happening here. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. It just seems like, oh yeah, and then like 30 seconds later, after trusting God for half a minute, they, God answered. And his son said, listen, that's not how it worked. Check out the discussion he has with his servants. Verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. So they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour. Yesterday. You see, the, the distance I mentioned, the distance from Capernaum to, uh, to Cana is about a seven-hour walk here to Union Station. Let me just map this out for you. There's the Sea of Galilee, there's Cana towards the Mediterranean Sea. It's about a seventh hour journey. Now, you've got 12 hours of daylight. That's what it's the seventh hour is one o'clock. That's seven hours from sunrise at 6 a.m. So if he got up at the crack of dawn and left Capernaum at 6 a.m., he would have got to see Jesus at about one o'clock p.m. at the seventh hour. And Jesus said, go. So he didn't waste any time. So if he went when Jesus said go, if it's shortly after one o'clock, he wouldn't have had enough daylight to get back to Cana. That's why when his servants come, they say yesterday. He would have had to have stopped and camped somewhere. Now just think about what that night would have been like for him. What, what does he have to go on? 
carpenter has told him that his son is going to live. And he's, he's, he's thinking, is my son even going to be alive when I get back there? Did I miss my, my chance to hold him in my arms? To say goodbye to him when he breathed his, his last breath? Did I make the right choice in walking all this way to Cana to, to go and place my faith in, in this person's word? I mean, what a night that would have been. Have you ever had a night like that? What got you through that night? It's the same thing that got this man through that night. It was a promise from the Savior. Jesus said, your son will live. That was a promise. He gave his word. Now, we may not receive those kind of specific promises from God, but we do receive promises, don't we? Promises like Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We, we, we have promises, don't we? Some of you are thinking right now of verses of promises that come to your mind. Like Deuteronomy 38, the Lord God will never leave you or forsake you. So do not be afraid or dismayed. Promises like Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This man was white. I mean, we're, the place where he was camping was the valley of the shadow of death, wasn't it? Thinking of his son. But he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Believing in Jesus means trusting in his word. gets up the next morning, again walking for hours. Then he sees his servants come. What kind of news are they bringing? Is it good news? Is it bad news? He's trying to read it on their faces, checking the way that, they, that they're walking, their, their body language. And he receives good news. He asks for the details. He finds out that it was yesterday at the seventh hour. He puts two and two together. That was the exact time when Jesus told him that his son would live. Then look at the end of verse 53. And he himself believed and all his household. He himself believed. Isn't this a little bit redundant? We were told earlier in, in, in verse 50 that he believed. So he believed when he was in Cana. Now he gets the news on his way back to Capernaum and it says, and he believed. He believed in one way that, that got him to Cana in the first place. He had to believe something about Jesus or else he wouldn't have made the trip to go see him. Then he, when he received the word from Jesus, he believed on another level. And then now that the word has been confirmed, he's believing on an even deeper level. Here's the third truth we need to understand about, about believing in Jesus. That believing in Jesus means I'm increasing in depth. I'm increasing in depth. It's not just the same old. That, that our belief is growing in depth. His belief is now at a whole new 
level. Believing in Jesus is not just a moment. It begins in a moment, but it's an ongoing process. And then... And sanctification marks our progress in depth in understanding what it means to believe in Jesus. We as Christians are called believers. We're not not called have-believeds. It's not a past moment. It's something that is ongoing. All of the Christian life is a walk of faith. It's about growing in our belief, in our depth. The Christian life is like being in a submarine in the ocean. You can be out on the, uh, up on the surface in a submarine. You're still in the ocean, aren't you? And then when you get under, under the water, you're in the ocean. And as you go deeper and deeper, you never stop being in the ocean, but you keep going deeper and deeper in your understanding of the, of the vastness of all that God is. The great Bible teacher Warren Wearsby laid it out in a way similar to this. I stole most of this for, from him. With this man, it started with crisis belief. Maybe you're here today because crisis belief brought you here. With this man, it was his son's illness. With you, it might be your own illness. It might be the illness of a loved one. It might be an, an unemployment situation or a breakdown in your, uh, in your marriage or, or, or a paralyzing anxiety or worry or fear. And so it's a crisis that's brought you in here. I heard that Jesus is a savior. I heard that Jesus is a healer. I, G- I heard that Jesus has come to help us. And so that's why I'm here, because I need help. Well, you've come to the right place, because Jesus is all of those things. So the man, he's, he, it begins with crisis belief. But, but then there's, there's committed belief. Jesus said... Your son will live, now go. And so he went. He was committed. He did what Jesus told him to do. And so, and, and we are called to do that too. We're called to take Jesus at his word, to believe what he says, to believe that he, that he is the savior of the world who came and su- to suffer and die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. There's a, there's a commitment that is made. And then there's confirmed belief. The man received the news that his son had been healed. And we have moments in our life, don't we, where, where we realize that this isn't just an empty religion. God is real. And he's at work in our lives. And we see these things confirmed, don't we? And then our belief becomes contagious. He shared it with his whole household. Everyone needed to know. And so we start telling because we know God is real. We don't share our faith because we feel like we have to. We share our faith because we want to. And then someone pointed out to me after the service that, that this flow, crisis, committed, confirmed, contagious, this is the trajectory that every believer is on, but it also works in the form of a cycle, doesn't it? We can become complacent, we can have a complacent belief, and that God uses a crisis in our lives to recommit ourselves, and then he confirms his goodness, and then we become all the more contagious. Have you seen that happen in your life time and time and time? Again, that's what happens in this man's life. See, he believed what he believed on a whole new level. There was a whole new depth to what he believed. Not just, that, not just believing that his son was going to be healed, but believing that Jesus was the Messiah. This royal official from this day forward was now serving a very different king, wasn't he? Him and his whole household 
His household would have included those servants who brought the news. They were part of a, a person's household. His household would have included that precious son that was at death's door, that, that this man received back, fully restored. The son placed his faith in Jesus as well. See, seeing cannot be a condition of believing. We get it all backwards. We think, if I see, then I'll believe. But the, this is the way it so often works in the Christian life. It's not that we see and then we believe. It's that we believe and then we see. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. This is a story about a son who was close to death and was brought back to life. Father, we thank you for sending your son who didn't merely come close to death, but who died a death on our behalf so that if we believe in him, we might too be called your sons and your daughters. God, I pray that you would help us to go deeper deeper in our faith, deeper in our understanding of who you are and what you've done, deeper in our love towards you and towards our neighbor. God, I pray that we would stop seeking to see so that we would believe, God. I pray that we would be people who believe and that as a result, we would see. We would see all the ways that you are at work in our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.